my name. <laughs> a, little late, a little late on the queue from Jake Watson. But electric performance is never late. And if you are late to a workout, they'll be understanding and compassionate. But they will grind you into the ground. You'll be doing burpees until you throw up your brain. And then you'll eat it again, and it'll be considered good protein. Ladies and gentlemen, Open Garcast 25 is a discount code you use for election performance. Who sponsors the podcast? My name is Jake Watson. I'm joined by Danny O'Donnell. And today we are joined by Mr. Robert Deagle, BJJ, on Instagram. No spaces, no capitals. Uh, he is grappler and traveling jiu-jitsu coach. And we, uh, we got to talk a little bit before the show, but also – and super awesome dude. Thank you so much for joining us. No worries, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and we're, we're really excited to have you on, dude. Um, Thanks. We uh, just a reminder to everybody watching the show, you know, the open guard is about freaking inviting people on and then you're our friend. That's how it works. OK, <laughs> so if you've been on the show and you don't have an open guard cast T-shirt, sorry, David Garmo, suck it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I like David Garmo a lot. Uh, <laughs> but hey, man, thank you so much for coming on. I know Danny has a uh, Danny is like the better at talking person than me. I just talk. <laughs> a lot. Um, but yeah, Danny, uh, if you want to open up with uh, the question for our guest here, then you are more than welcome. Yeah. So we were talking a little bit before we started recording just about competition and stuff like that. And you have like an amazing YouTube channel and put out like so much great coaching material. So like, do you want to talk a little bit about like almost like where you see your, your coaching going versus your competitive aspirations? Yeah. So a uh, real quick, I just want to briefly comment. That was the spiciest opening on any podcast. <laughs> hey man, I might as well, I might as That's well. That's not even the spiciest one he's ever done. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've done, I've done some stupid intros. One time I, I, I put in a text to speech and I did the whole intro text to speech and I didn't say anything. And I just said, okay, I'm <laughs> it was ridiculous. And the person we had, I was like, what is going on? It was Elizabeth Clay. <laughs> one time he impersonated Alex Sterner from Election Performance okay. and he tagged Alex Alex in the in the post on Instagram and people thought it was actually Alex speaking. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, I'll talk a little bit about competition and I have a very mixed relationship with competition because on on one hand I think it's very important and I value it very highly, but on other hand on another hand um, there are a lot of things I dislike about um, the way jujitsu competitions are in most cases um so first of all I'll just talk about the positives briefly like at the end of the day competition like if you look at most martial arts throughout history the martial arts that are also combat sports are the ones that tend to be less full of shit right and there's a reason yeah. for that right? you know what i mean like and, and yeah. speaking frankly right like if and there's uh, I, I always like to add that i don't see any issue with training a martial art purely for like spiritual or like even exercise purposes it just mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that fall into this trap of delusion that thinking because they're very good at Aikido or Tai Chi that they're somehow going to be able to like defeat 15 men. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Like, exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. That level of delusion is like um, it's widespread in martial arts that don't also have a sporting component. You For know sure. what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, how dare you disgrace Steven Seagal like that? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry. Continue. No, you're good. I'm just kidding. No, I know. I can tell. Uh, but like, so yeah, when you have like a sporting component, what happens is basically what it is, is it's, it's, a, it's, um, this is very obvious. You're taking the art and you're bringing it down to earth, right? You're, you're, you, you have an actual laboratory in which to run experiments essentially, right? Like you can test stuff in real time and see like, okay, does this, does this actually work? And the competition will 
ostensibly give you feedback. Now you could, uh, the trick is, is gym roles can do the same thing. Now my, my, the way I view competition is that I want as much as possible the competition to emulate a gym role because I see a gym role, a role in the academy as being like, I don't know, there's a purity to it that most competitive matches don't have. Um, so I think like jujitsu, I've talked about this on, on other podcasts and we, we can talk about this here if you want. I think the ultimate purpose of jujitsu is to enhance your life, like broadly speaking. If all it's doing is making you, like if the only reason you're doing jujitsu is because um, you like want to win tournaments, but maybe that is a way of enhancing your life. Maybe that process is something you really enjoy. Uh, uh, but like we can imagine somebody because I've done this in the past where you forced yourself to compete and you just fucking hated it. Like I've done that in the past and I would not think I wouldn't describe that process as improving my life. But I did it because I felt almost in a sense obligated to do it. Like um, I just felt like I had to to kind of justify the amount of the, 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 the seriousness with which I pursued the art. Right. But when I when I roll in the gym, there's a purity to it where I feel much more like I am um focused in the moment on my own development and growth without regard for the outcome which i think is a much healthier way to be looking at the art and i think you can look at competition as that i've had competitions where i looked at it as that the difficulty comes in when there's a lot of things that can obstruct that in a competitive setting so for instance the um like the rule sets are oftentimes like easy to like people oftentimes grapple not in the spirit of jujitsu but in the spirit of the rule set and yeah and like and i don't begrudge a competitor for doing that right if if i'm in a competitive setting and my goal is to win which your goal should be right like you're gonna usually do like i've had matches i'm not proud of when i look back on them that i won that i was like that was like i can uh, my I'll give you guys an example. So my match at the finishers sub only uh, was like a couple months ago. It was against Ricky Weatherell. I'm embarrassed of that match. I won that match, but it was just terrible. Like basically I had a game plan and my game plan was a very conservative, safe game plan. Ricky is a pretty good uh, leg locker in his own right. And he's got some a good guard and stuff. Um, but I thought he was going to come on top. He didn't. He We double guard pulled and he didn't want to. He, he played very conservatively as well. He played arguably more conservatively than me. I, I opened up a little bit at some point. But to be to be fair, I didn't open up much, right? Like I was expecting him to come after me from the top position because that's what I'd seen him do in the past. And he didn't do that. And I had a – in that situation, you have a choice. Your choices are – essentially, I had three choices. Um, cho- choice A is just sit there. And I knew I would beat him in overtime. And that's what I did, which is kind of like the coward's way out. I just sat there. <laughs> we just kept leg pummeling like two idiots. No one got anything. I'm in a double guard pull situation in Nogi, nobody really gets anything. It's so hard. It's so easy to just pull your legs back and like yeah. you could just keep disengaging. Because you have your ability to like once you're in a once you're in a seated position, your ability to like butt scoot back it's it's pretty strong. Um and so like um, the two other options I had were come on top or option C would be to give him a leg and then counter him. What I wish I did was either B or C. It's what I should have done. That would have been grappling in the spirit of jujitsu, which is trying to go forward, pursuing control, leading to the application of submission. But I didn't do that. The rule set encouraged me to kind of like 
grapple like a coward. I grappled like a coward who my, my, I was very, I hadn't competed in months. That was my first match in like four months. I was very nervous and I was really concerned with like, before the match, I was supposed to go against Ray DeLeon of 10th Planet, uh, New York City. That was a match I was really excited for. And he dropped out because he got injured and they replaced it with Ricky at the last moment. Now the trouble with the Ricky match was Ricky's not a bad grappler. Ricky's pretty good, but nobody knows who he is. And like everybody the day of was like hyping me up. They're like, yo, Rob, you're going to fuck this guy up. You're going to tap him out in a minute. <laughs> it got in my head because I'm like, fuck. He's, I, I know who he is because I, I, I study a lot of tape. I knew who he was before this. He'd actually, he'd actually DM'd me in the past about trying to get a match with me. And then like it, it wound up happening here. Um, uh, and like, so I was like, look, I have, he has nothing to lose. I have something to lose. I have a name. If I, uh, I'm not like, I'm not like a Ryan Hall level name or anything like that, but I'm like a modest name in the community. Like if I get tapped, that's really great for him. If I tap him in regulation, it's what's supposed to happen. So it got in my own head. I got nervous and I grappled in a way that I'm not super proud of. I'm proud of the overtime. I did well there, but <laughs> what can you do? That's, that's not the real match. Um, and so like, I think of like, I, when I grappled in the the best spirit of jujitsu, it's been matches where, like, I'll give you an example, a recent match. Um, I'm not super happy it was against a teammate, but I, uh, I I was in a tournament in Las Vegas recently where in the semifinals, unfortunately, I got paired up with a teammate. I I don't like competing against teammates. I think it creates it can create fr- friction in the room, but in this case, it was it was fine. It, it worked out well. But anyway, so um, in the match. Um, my teammate went to put me inside the cross Ashigurami position and I'm very comfortable defensively there, but I'll be honest, it still is a dicey situation. A lot of things can go wrong there. Um, and he put me in the position and I felt very comfortable and I, that's a situation where there's a lot of danger that can happen, but I was confident in my defense and I went up countering him and, and catching him. And I, after that match, I felt very good about that match. That's a match where I was proud of my performance, where because like the truth was, I saw the entry coming. Like I could have spastically blocked it, right? Like you know what I mean? I, it's not hard to pummel for inside position in a when you're playing guard. I could have just done that, but I knew I saw it coming and I knew it was coming and I let it happen because I was confident that I'd be able to stay safe. It, I, I would be able to counter and get the job done. And to me, that's a much more um fulfilling way to go about grappling and that's i you know um i could go on about competition for a long time because i do have a a lot of other thoughts about it like i always want to be involved with competition i'm sure i'm going to compete again in the future i just know that it is not my priority um Mm -hmm. you know i'm also somebody who i don't have a giant i don't have a big need for like external gratification from other people like I don't like. I almost feel uncomfortable about it. Like it's funny. I was talking. <laughs> I was, I was I talking. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> talking to somebody about this recently. Like when people started asking for my pictures at tournaments. Like the, when it first happened, I it was like, I said yes, of course, because I want. It's good for my brand to be promote. It's free promotion, right? Who's gonna say mm-hmm. no to that? But it, on the other hand, it was like. You know, it was like this idea that I was a public figure was like weird to me, you know, and like, of course, I cultivated that because I'm trying to have a career as a jujitsu instructor. But the idea that I don't know, it just seems strange. Like I never wanted I don't even like the idea of being like well known or 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 
Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say famous because no one in jiu-jitsu is famous except <laughs> two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe Gordon and Danaher and, and Galvao. Maybe they're famous. I don't yeah. Know. They're the three Damien, Damien Maya. Damien Maya. UFC yeah. fighters. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. MMA fighters. Yeah. That are successful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm talking like pure jujitsu guys, right? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. There's very probably, few. Probably Gordon Ryan and, and Dan. Galvao too, yeah. And Galvao. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a list, but it's not like – like for instance, like um, I can name guys that I would consider like big names in the jujitsu community. Like here's a name, right? Kent Peters. Everybody in jujitsu knows who Kent Peters is, right? But like Kent Peters isn't getting recognized at Target. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Whereas – I think Gordon maybe is at that level. I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know for sure. But like anyway, my 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 main point, the point that I'm getting at is that just like um, you know, I when I evaluate all the different reasons why someone might want to compete, it's not super high for me. You know what I mean? Like the the, I, the, the oftentimes like when I look at it, it doesn't seem like super worth it to me. But I will I will say this. I do have a few things left that I feel like I need to do competitively and. I'm going to try to do my best to accomplish those things. And once I'm done with those things, I'll probably be done uh, competitively. But I will always coach people who want to compete. That's I have more goals in that area than I do as a person uh, personally. And uh, and also I'll say this last thing on competition. I I want to run tournaments because I think that there are major ways that can be improved. And I'd, I'd like I would be much more interested in, in competition if it was um if they functioned, I think, in a. A better way. I think if, if rule sets were improved, uh, I, I, th I think competition would be much more enticing to me. But um, so mm. I'd like to maybe work towards doing something like that as well. Sure. Yeah. When you brought up rule, like rule sets, that is a huge topic on our show all the time. Whenever we talk to competitors and they have opinions about competition, we always talk about like how crazy it is that there's like 18 rule sets in jujitsu. You know yeah. what I mean? There is one universal football rule set, but we got to have 18 jujitsu rule sets. Um, and that, well, I feel like that does push people away from from competition a little bit. Um, not talking about you specifically. I know that you just did an amazing explanation of competition. It's actually very well thought out. Uh, mm -hmm. But a lot of people are like, IBJJF or, you know, fight to win. It's like they can't just have all of it. And I think yeah. that is a really good point is the spirit of jiu-jitsu is like, dude, if you got a gi, he's got a gi. Or you got a rash guard, he's got a rash guard. Just go out there and grapple and pay attention to the rules. And like, hey, mm -hmm. if you really want to win, just pay attention. Pay attention. Mm -hmm. You know, something like Third Coast is like really wacky, awkward. And you've got to <laughs> actually study Third Coast rules to understand yeah. it. But like if it's a sub only, just go out there and submit them. Try. Yeah. If you don't, then do a bunch of it and you'll probably win by ref's decision. Yeah. But people, you know, get caught in the minutia of like 50-50 ankle locks are a huge thing right now in the community that people hate. And I'm yeah. like, as an as a ankle lock guy, I'm offended. <laughs> but uh, But also I understand that like, yeah, obviously ankle locks are like kind of a, a submission that you can throw. And even if it's not tight, you get the points, you know, you get the, the fight to win points or whatever points. I like that you're in the spirit of like, you want to see if your jiu-jitsu is improving, you want to actually win and, and use your jiu-jitsu and actually like, do I say dominate? Like, I, I think about it, like, I would love to dominate, like my competition, not in like a weird malicious way. But I want to I want to improve. I am yeah. desperate for improvement almost like I really working at it. And I think that's for me, that's the spirit of competition. You know, yeah. I, I love yeah. to win. But also, like, I think Danny can agree with this. Our platform, like this brand of Open Guardcast, that is what I want to associate with competition is how I treat other people, how I treat competition, the kind of 
impact I leave on the sport, I want it to be a, a very, very positive legacy. So really competition is kind of, cha- would you say that competition for you has changed? Like it used to be about, you know, winning. And now that you are, man, you're, I mean, you're traveling and you're, you're coaching and you're very intellectual with your approach. I mean, you're John Danaher Brown, but which I'm sure we'll get to in a, in a minute as well. Um, now your brand is more like, Hey, if you want to become a better coach, now competition is keeping you in the loop of like, okay, this is how competition, I can better relate this to my students. I can better relate this to what's modernly happening right now. Yeah. Would you say that that would be beneficial? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, like, um, I think that, uh, I don't think competition has changed so much for me. I think I've always kind of had the same outlook towards mm-hmm. that. I, I started competing very early on when I started training. And I think I, I did so because I kind of had this uh, internal idea that if I didn't, I was wasting my time, that I wasn't being serious about what I was doing. And I think that was kind of like a maybe a flawed perspective. Um, I kind of still think that a little bit. It's hard for me to shake that completely. I, I, you know what I mean? Um, but like – Another thing that I, I wanted to uh, mention that I actually I actually totally forgot um, is like – so one of the things that I think competition is can very negatively influence people to do is to hoard information, which I think is one of the worst traits in jiu-jitsu that's like – I think it's very widespread. I think it's extremely widespread. So when we look at like – so for instance, like um, I am right now – um, I'm, I, I've been taking online classes for my master's again. So I've been going back to take my, get my master's, got nothing better to do during the pandemic. So that's what I've been doing um, among other things. Uh, and you know, I'm right now I'm taking a class on data curation and one of the, today, for instance, I was reading about like data sharing practices in like the sciences and like, it's this cooperative attempt by researchers to move closer to like truth, which is like it's ambiguous what that really means but like if we just in very plain language say the proceeding towards truth right um okay do we do that in jujitsu well we don't because like so i heard i'm not going to say who, who this was uh, a competitor who i have enormous respect for he once described jujitsu as being um like a sort of arms race kind of like a cold war and in a sense you can look at it like that but I don't really like looking at it like that because when you look at it like that, what happens is it turns into these like small isolated pockets of individuals trying to like come up with ways to like bamboozle other people. Whereas I'm more interested in like, okay, if we, I want to throw everything in and see what comes out. Okay. Like what is actually going to work when we really put everything to the test, what's going to come out on top? What it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the ideas. Right. And that's a much more cooperative process. Right. Like I have no doubt in the, like I was reading today about like data sharing in marine biology, uh, marine among marine biology researchers in Taiwan. I'm sure there's some, one of those guys is like, yo, fuck that asshole. (laughs) 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 <laughs> he's like he's like no 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 the fish do this he's wrong <laughs> but like uh but like i would hope i'm not an expert but it, i would hope that i think they're kind of probably suppressing that for the larger goal of cooperative research right yeah. that to me is like that's what i that would be my ideal in jujitsu as well but man I, I will admit it's so fucking hard it's so fucking hard because like and of course like i like everyone else I have an ego. We all have egos, right? 
it's a natural part of a competitive sport. So it's it's difficult to sort of separate those two things. I think it's 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 healthy to some extent. I just think there's also it's a good thing also to be able to distinguish yourself, your perceived sense of self from the results of competition or a competition because like then what happens is it becomes not about the art and the development of the art in a cooperative sense in the community. It becomes about how fucking cool are you, bro? Oh, I fucking and like I'll say this honestly, and I, <laughs> people will comment and say, "What about half your your half your team does not abide at all <laughs> by what you're saying?" And that's because like I also have a very open minded towards like you know it's if something makes you happy, just don't listen to what I'm saying. Do what you want to do. You know what I mean? <laughs> Like sure. half half my team, probably most of my team will listen to what I'm saying. Be like, shut the fuck up, Rob. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Whatever. Do what you want, guys. I'm just offering my perspective, if it makes any sense. It no, does. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I actually had a kind of, kind of a follow up question too, because like one thing you, you talked about like ego, and everyone has an ego who trains jiu-jitsu. Like there'd be no point in training and trying to dominate people if you have at least some sort of an ego, even if you have it like in control. But mm-hmm. Do you feel like when you're training for competition, like you kind of limit like the scope of what you're trying to work on? Like a lot, I know a lot of times when people are preparing, they're trying to, you know, sharpen their A game, just give people the type of rounds that they're expecting to have in competition. So they're maybe limiting what, what types of things they're doing. Do you f- feel like that can kind of stifle someone's growth if they're like too focused on competition too? Un- undeniably, undeniably. That's, I think, a very common thing that happens. So, um, it's very, very common. Um, you know, I know for myself, like when I have, like if I have a sub only competition coming up, I'm not going to work takedowns. <laughs> makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely zero sense. Like, first of all, I, to be honest, I don't really enjoy the standing grappling aspect of it enough. You know, like, um, do you guys remember the Joker? If you, did you guys see the recent movie, the Joker? Yep. The one with, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Joaquin Phoenix. Phoenix yeah. Yes. That's yes. awesome. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a pretty good movie. Uh, okay. You know, you know, the part, at the end where he's like um he's like uh robert de niro's like you think that's funny and he's like he's like it is and i'm tired of pretending it's not <laughs> yeah you know that part you know, people, the talk show? Yeah. yeah people made a meme out of it yeah like i hate stand-up grappling and i'm tired of pretending that i don't <laughs> yeah, it's just I not don't. fun i don't care what people say about it yeah my yeah, back yeah. hurts yeah like <laughs> it's way less fun the groundwork part and i understand the value of it people are like for self-defense for mma 100 percent. i get it i'm speaking from my personal perspective as a practitioner it's not as fun to me and I'm, <laughs> i hate having to pretend like uh, that i don't <laughs> yeah 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 that's uh what do you, th- what do you think about that jake do you think uh that happens to you as well too like when you're training for competition do you, do you keep your game as open or are you usually trying to work on a specific game plan and specific techniques i have slowly over time and i think this is why uh sometimes i'll either win pretty well or i'll get just destroyed is because <laughs> i have always liked to have the way i saw it like andre uh, uh and my, my professor andre he's like really big on like you should be pretty good at everything but i was like well what if i could be like super good at everything he's like that is really hard <laughs> you can't it's very very difficult to be really good at everything so i didn't really get good at passing the guard until brown belt in fact i did not pass guard until brown belt so like recently i've just been like for instance pan am's coming up and then um i have a match that i'll announce once it's once it's finalized um later but like i'm trying to work on like having my guard be very open and having my passing be very open. 
Uh, I think that in the past, though, I have definitely only been like an under the leg guy with, you know, a triangle from close guard. And then on top, I had a leg drag and that was all I did. And I did all three of those things very well, but I didn't have anything else. So like everything else was improvised and it was low level, whereas everything else was like purple belt level, you know? So and the, the idea of being a complete grappler and being comfortable in all situations appeals to me more than being super duper good at like five things and not very good at everything else. I would rather be very good than perfect. You know what I mean? I want to have like complete jujitsu. I want to be a chameleon and be able to adhere to other games and stuff like that. Um, I don't do a lot of nogi, which is more just like my my situation at my gym. Um, but one day I'm going to do Nogi as well. I want to compete ADCC and stuff like that, but that's like an area of my game that I don't, I like shove in the back cause I'm ashamed. I'm like, ah, oh, don't do it. I don't do any Nogi. People look at me weird like Jake, but you got second at Nogi worlds. I'm like, ah, but I didn't, ah, oh, stop. Don't bring that up because I'm, I'm sad. I want to do it again. It's like a mistress that you still have the number of and you know, she's available. But you just you know, it's right now you don't have the time for her. You know what oh. I mean? <laughs> that's so Sorry. That's, all, that's probably an awful analogy. <laughs> Uh, no, nice makes sense. I'll say this. You're at least doing more no gi than I'm doing gi. I haven't worn a gi uh, in like three years. Uh, yeah, I have. I, you know, like it's it kind of sucks because when I look at the gi, the gi is like I'm much more like I really prefer the way the gi competitive infrastructure is built. It's much less full of shit than the no gi one. The, <laughs> the, the no gi competitive landscape is fucking terrible it's so bad it's a circus it's an absolute <laughs> fucking circus like when you have events like third coast which like i'll say this like outright i hate that event i think it's run terribly like they're just they make a mockery of the sport like it's like when you have like these little kids they all have like 15 little kids like <laughs> it's like it, like is it funny like yeah it's funny like it's just like Maybe I'm taking it too seriously, but like when I see something like that, it just sort of like I think it like belittles the sport almost. It, I'm probably taking it too seriously, and if people think I am, that's fine. But I think that it shouldn't be attached to a serious card. Right. You shouldn't yeah. attach something yeah. very not serious to something that's worth ten thousand yeah. uh, dollars. You should compete for the show and just see exactly how <laughs> wacky it is. And hey, I like every like I have no bad relationships with Third Coast or Fight Twin. I don't yeah, even know yeah. any of the drama going on in the jiu-jitsu community. And quite frankly, I'm not a part of it. All right. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I love this podcast so much, is because dude, you can say whatever you want. It's not yeah. us. You know what I mean? Like, like sure, if, sure, we invite, yeah. if we invite freaking Seth Daniels on and he starts going off about how much he hates so-and-so, I'm going to be like, go off, Seth. And then I'm, <laughs> they're going to be like, oh, Jake, you endorse that. No, I don't. I never said anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like uh, for – but I've told Ryan. I'm like, hey, man, your rule set's whack. <laughs> your rule set's not cool. And the tournament's weird. And he was like, oh, but we do this, this, and this. And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's what I don't like. But – um. Yeah. I'm not like I don't hate him. I don't hate his. I will compete for him anytime he asks, and I will love to compete. It's jujitsu at the end of the day, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, don't, I definitely don't like the kids' Royal Rumble. I think that was a little weird. This is the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> Super weird. They will never I have me. Been. They will never have me on one of their events. I uh, because that guy Ryan hates my guts. It's interesting because it seems like based on what you said, you should hate your guts too. Because all I said to him was that his rule set was stupid. <laughs> and he like went off on me in DMs and like I was like, all right, buddy. Like I, I like kind of made like a few Instagram stories like shitting on it like as a joke. But like it was all like it was very like lighthearted. It wasn't like I wouldn't describe it as serious. But yeah, I don't care because I do think they're it's a, 
That okay. Here's what you have to understand about nogi, the nogi competitive uh, circuit. We'll say. Mm-hmm. All right. When you go back and rewatch the early EBIs, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about highlighted better than anywhere else. On a very fundamental level, Nogi Superfight events are commercials, okay? They are commercials usually for the uh, – well, not always, but oftentimes they're commercials for certain athletes. You go back and rewatch the early EBIs. Those were like very transparent commercials for 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. They were designed by Eddie Bravo to promote his brand. And they they wanted 10th Planet athletes to succeed and and uh, win the win the show. Uh, can you can you guys hear that? No. It's okay. like an AC okay. unit. No, no. Somebody somebody just walked inside and slammed the door. Uh, oh no. We're you, guys, you guys can edit this po- post, right? Yeah. yeah okay. We can edit the video. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm just gonna ask them to be quiet. Give me okay. one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. One. Sure. I'll be right back. Sorry, guys. You're good. Shut up! <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I'm on a podcast. <laughs> I love his New York accent. It's fantastic. I, w- I want to ask him about uh, the gi competitions and what he likes about the gi competition scene versus no gi. I'm guessing yeah. it's just because the IBJJF kind of rules that scene and it's very predictable the the product and the rules and all that stuff. But yep, <laughs> you're good. You're yo, good. Yo yo yo. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so as I was saying, um, so like. The Nogi competitive community or circuit rather, like so much of it is just like it's just guys trying to like promote certain athletes because they like there's a like so look at flow grappling events. They're like usually designed to promote certain athletes. I don't really understand Flow's internal business strategy. I don't I don't know what it is, but clearly they have one, right? Like there's very obvious mismatches they put on. And like, you know, at the end of the day, that is a, kind of like the model of like a of a true combat sport like boxing or MMA, right? Like, uh, you know what I mean? Like they do that all the time in boxing. Um, yeah, it's like whereas, create a star and then kind of build shows and and features around those people. Yes, exactly. And that's so it's not like an inherently bad thing. I just think that if you look at the way gi jiu-jitsu is, right? Okay, so there are things to criticize the IBJJF for. I'm, aside from the rules, I'm not I'm not gonna talk about the rules because like I I don't compete in their events, so I very clearly do not like their rules. But as an event, okay, as an event, I much prefer it to the nogi circuit because what you have with the IBJJF is you have a predictable set of rules. They plan out their shows in advance. You know when their events are gonna be, and and it's it's um it's like basically the way I look at the IBJJF is this. There's almost this like implicit recognition among the athletes where it's like look we know we're not going to make money competing we know no one gives a shit about this except for a very few amount of people who participate in it but we like it so we're going to fund the tournament so that we can participate in these in these events and and we can test the merit of our ideas okay that's almost how i view the ibjjf and obviously it's not that i don't think the guys at the top of the ibjjf are thinking that i think they're just thinking let's make money but like that's functionally how i think it operates whereas the nogi circuit i don't think it's really like that um oh man anyone anyone who watches the podcast and sees that is gonna like <laughs> that's so trippy when you when you pick up the water oh yeah <laughs> it's because yeah, i background. always i can't yeah. do that because i can't i can't have the open guard cast look in the background because then it just looks like there's like a freaking i should probably change it but no, it's, it's a, <laughs> anybody who's on an edible right now watching this is bugging yeah. out. Um, like the streak <laughs> disappeared. We usually uh, we usually have all of our viewers actually uh, we we 
have them taken out of edible use. Oh, perfect. <laughs> there you go. CBD edibles, right, guys? <laughs> yeah. Make sure you got to have half your edible done by now, guys. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> but like, so yeah, like I just view, I prefer that model, the IBJJF model. I think it's like the way I would prefer a competitive circuit to be, it, it's much more like that. And in Nogi, we, we have that. We have ADCC, which is, you know, an open tournament format that you can sign up for the trials and go do, and it's merit-based, et cetera. The issue is it's just so infrequent. There aren't many ADCC. Like, ADCC is not that organized. Like, so if you look at, like, the European circuit in ADCC, they'll have pretty frequent tournaments. They'll have, like, ADCC Poland, ADCC Czech Republic, ADCC Amsterdam, right? And you'll even see it in Asia sometimes, but you never see it in North America. I don't know why. I don't know who's running things. There's been a few – like Craig Jones did ADCC New York back in 2012 or something, right? Like they have them. I, I know buddies that did that event, you know, so they, they have them. But like it's just not frequent enough. It's not organized enough. IBJJF, for all for – like for everything that the IBJJF does wrong, if you look at an IBJJF event and then you watch like the Olympics of like um, – or like the World Championships of Judo or Wrestling – I think the IBJJF looks the most like that. Aside from you, the only exception to that would again be ADCC. If you look at ADCC Worlds, it's an amazing tournament. Amazing tournament. That's everything I want out of a tournament. You know what I mean? Um, I'm talking just the structure, the rule set. I think in both cases can be criticized, but the structure of the tournament, the structure of the competitive infrastructure, is perfect. But. So do you think that it'd be good for ADCC to put on, you know, maybe a tournament every quarter at least or like, you know, four or five a year where they're, you know, having the same rule set, Mm. same officials, same all that just to kind of kind of create something, at least the shell of what the IBJJF has and and give people more experience in that rule set and stuff like that? I wish that would be a dream come true. if, If I could change any. So if you said to me, you could change anything about the jujitsu community, anything I would change two. I would change. If I could just get one of these two, that's all I would want. I would either add heel hooks and reaping to IBJJF Nogi. If IBJJF Nogi rules added heel hooks and reaping, those would be the only tournaments I ever do ever again. Because like for they real, they need to add those. For, yeah, for sure. it's such an organized tournament structure, and like everything is so good about it except for that. That is the mm-hmm. stupidest part of it. You know, that's why I don't do it. You know, um, I I, I I think I will do it in the future. I, We'll see. I'm not sure. But like um, anyway, or the other thing would be what you just described there, having more ADCC tournaments annually. If you could do that, that would be that would be great as well, because they're they're I don't think they're as good as the IBJF in terms of their organization and structure, but they're like not super, super. They're not super far off. You know what I mean? Like they're they're pretty good. Yeah, I think if they did do that, they'd start to to build some like level of consistency with like. You know, they'd have the same people promoting all of them, just like the IBJJF. I think in the past, the ADC would kind of like almost like franchise the tournaments out and have different people in different regions mm-hmm. putting on the event. So you, the, the quality control wasn't quite there. They still do that. Oh, they're do always. That. Yeah, they still do. That. They're probably always going to do that. Did you guys. So, OK, so do you guys remember the canceled Asian trials from the last cycle? I do. Uh, yeah. ADCC. Yeah. Think so i remember was, when they canceled it yeah it was in all i'm probably pronouncing this wrong it was in all Mahdi, kazakhstan and okay. there were a lot of people that flew in and they canceled it the night before oh what my the goodness fuck? how that did is... you do that 
That is terrible. <laughs> and like they still ran the tournament, which is the weirdest thing. But they said there weren't enough people that considered a true trials. Well, guys, then like, why did you put it in Kazakhstan? <laughs> I, don't know yeah. what to tell. I don't know what to tell you. I either run the tournament and call up the trials, okay, and and regard, regardless of how many people show up, or don't or don't run the tournament. You know, yeah, exactly. and you, at, at the night before, you can't, in my mind, canceling it is just like unethical. You have people that paid money to fly out there. You know, it's ridiculous. So like that, that ADCC trial cycle only had one Asian trials. It was the Japanese trials. You could always count on the Japanese trials. They're very consistent. But what's uh, what's amazing is I've been told that this cycle, both Asian trials are going to be in Singapore. There's never been an Asian trials in Singapore ever. This, you know what I mean? To my knowledge, no Singaporean athlete has ever even won a match at the trials. So, like, why are they holding it in Singapore? I'm not complaining because I'm planning on moving to Singapore. So it's like it's good for me. But it like <laughs> the point is, yeah. is it's, logically, it's a, it doesn't make much sense. It's very strange. Right. Like, it's like, why are you what? Because like, I understand. OK, one one is fine. But historically, the Asian trials has always been one in kind of like a random place. And then they'll put one in Japan. Like there have been 11 Asian trials, six have been in Japan. Why is it one in Japan this cycle? I have no idea. But I, with the IBDF, it's it's much more consistent. You know, you kind of can predict much more accurately what's what's going to happen. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's why I've always like like I when I was a white and blue belt competed in like different promotions and stuff. But just like the consistency of the IBJJF, it was like you knew when you were going to compete, you knew days before like the exact time you were going to compete you kind of knew that the tournament wasn't going to run late so there were just like so many things that kind of like pushed me towards that but right. um yeah i definitely definitely think they should add the the reaping and the heel hooks at least for no gi yeah i mean i i'm fine with not having it in the gi i don't really care because it doesn't it won't affect me whatsoever because i don't yeah <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but no gi i just like yeah it doesn't seem like a like something that it really doesn't make any sense. Like, cause, cause like if the idea is to defend people from knee injuries, ban jumping guard, you know, yeah. Yeah. they, they did for white belts. belts. Yeah. Oh, just they white did? Belts, oh, so. All right. Yeah. I'm happy to hear that. I don't think it should be legal at any weight. I think it's, I, I think the worst injuries in jujitsu come from things like jumping guard pulls for sure. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I feel like the viewers have probably heard enough of me complaining about competition. No. Well, no. the fun the fun That's fact about reaping is. is it used to be legal. It used to be able oh, to really? reap an IBJJF. Yeah. But they they took it away because even in the gi. Yeah, oh, you used oh, to be able to yeah. you used to be able to reap and throw a toehold on top of it. But when I was mean, that when was that rule changed? No idea. Oh. Okay. Well, uh, it, was a, was, it was a while ago. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's, probably like 15, 20 years ago, maybe. That's crazy. That's super interesting. Yeah. I'm not a big uh, heel hook guy, mostly because I don't speak Japanese. But um, <laughs> I, uh, but I think it's That's an interesting game. Yeah. Well, yeah. See, I don't. I saw your YouTube channel. It's like Inside Ashi Garami, Sadi Ruma. I'm like, man, this guy is like far hip Ashi Garami. I, I believe I understand what that means. But I know it like as just reaping the knee and throwing a lock yeah. on it. You know what I mean? Like right. Uh, right. But it's very interesting to me, and like, like I'm gonna be commentating ADCC, so I'm learning all this right now. So talking to people like you is very, very informative for someone like me, and uh, and that's like a, that's what I meant. Like it, Nogi, I'm super interested by it 
Because for me in the gi, I, I feel like I have a very good understanding of gi jiu-jitsu. But when I look at no gi, I'm like, why did that happen? Why why, why yeah. is he in there now? I look at Craig Jones' fight, and I'm like, it's like magic. Like he just ends up under Vinicius Magalhaes' leg and is like, how did he even get there? Why is this a black hole that Vinicius is fighting, you know? Do you, um, do you want me to tell you what he did in that match? We, me and Danny he, actually did a – we did oh, a match breakdown okay. over it. But uh, that that was like, yeah, I, we actually we went. It's on our you. It's on our YouTube channel. Actually, if you could explain it though. That I think that would be really helpful. Yeah, please, you know what? Actually, please do. Please do. Yeah, that would be All great. Right, so, so I don't need the match in front of me. It was a pretty. Uh, I, I remember it pretty clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, so Craig went to a reverse Deliva. He inverted. Yeah. From that inversion, there, you have two main options to entangle his leg. You can either throw a reverse X on his far leg and go directly into a cross Ashi using a Kandi Basami. That allows you to almost always immediately transition into a double cross Kani Basami, which is a really, like, if you want to see an example of that going well, you can look at Paulo Miao versus Cobrinha at ADCC 2017 in Finland. Paulo Miao hit it, like, beautifully on Cobrinha. Paulo wound up losing the match, but he hit that sequence very, very perfectly. Reverse Lihiva inversion to, into reverse X on the far side leg into a cross Ashi, into a double cross Ashi. However, Craig in that match decided instead to go to the near side leg to go to a bottom 50-50. Okay, so he went to a bottom 50-50 on Vinny. From the bottom 50-50 situation, he did what we call a spin under. Spin unders are a really popular move from a bottom 50-50 that you can use to expose someone's heel because it brings you into a backside 50-50. And in that in that match, if you watch there, what happens is it's identical to like a good example would be I first saw the spin under being performed by Masakazu Imanari against Joachim Hansen at Pride, I think it was 2005. Um, I, I mean, I, I wasn't watching it live. This was after the fact, of course. Yeah. I didn't start training until uh, like 2009, but like 2010, like around then. But like um, that's a spin under. You can see Imanari do it in that match, and, and Craig does it against uh, Vinny in that match. I don't remember if the second – I think the second sequence was just like a – kind of somebody to cross Ashi. I don't remember it too well. But the first one is very – the first one's better in my opinion. It's really, really good. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, but I would have a similar – by the way, I would have a similar experience with you and uh, the Gi. I don't really watch too much Gi. I watch it occasionally. Pretty much – if I'm watching Gi, it's mainly to watch Cobrinha because I just like Cobrinha mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah, he's um, amazing. Yeah, but I don't really know what's happening in the Gi most of the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I kind of uh, was thinking. Oh, go ahead, Jake. I was going to ask about Ryan. Well, how does it differ from what Ryan Hall did to BJ Penn? Um, so Ryan Hall, uh, if I remember correctly, he was never in a bottom fifty-fifty. So he wound up in a backside fifty-fifty, but it was like from a roll. Uh, yeah, it was like an Imanari roll. Yeah, he, like, he does his own version though, right? Yeah, so he ends up in a backside fifty-fifty right away. So it's. So so Vinny so Craig on Vinny did a spin under. So you're in a bottom 50-50. A bottom 50-50, your chest is facing the guy. He spins underneath. Craig spun underneath. That's how he got to the bottom 50-50 there. Um, Ryan just wound up in the bottom 50-50 because he rolled right into it. But in both cases, they got to a bottom 50-50. And, um, um, yeah, it was like – Bottom, uh, backs, or rather, I should say, they both got to a backside 50-50. Back, the backside 50-50 is one of the strongest positions to expose the heel. It's like probably, in my opinion, the single strongest position to gain heel exposure. I don't, I don't really think there's anything comparably powerful. Mm-hmm. So right. I was just gonna ask because I, I, Jake brought up like your YouTube channel and like some of the positions that you break down, and um, you have a uh, uh, Connie Basami instructional. And then you also have, uh, is it leg lock defense and guard retention? Is that the other one you have? 
That's the other one, yeah. So I, I, oh, I have a third ahead. one. I have a third oh, one okay. out soon. Yeah. So arms. Did, sorry. No, go ahead. You were you gonna say arm saddle? Is that the third? Yeah. One? Yeah. It's well, it's just on joint lock offense generally speaking, heel hooks mm-hmm. and the arm saddle. Yeah. So did you pick those topics based on like did you feel like there was kind of a lack of information or at least like good products around those positions? Is that was that part of the motivation for those? Well, they're just I mainly just pick things that I'm personally interested in because if I'm going to put out a product, I want it to be good. And if it's um, for it to be good, you probably have to actually care about it. So I picked things mm-hmm. that I, I actually like give a shit about. So like um, like I wouldn't do an instructional on half guard passing because I don't really do that. You know, it's mm-hmm. interesting. I'd like to learn it, but I would not be, you know, could I do an instructional on it? Like I, I've studied a lot of tape. I probably could. But like I don't really think I would do like an honest good job. But like those topics, I am very like I think I know as much about those topics as anyone in the world. So that's why I made the instructionals, you know. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the the Kanye Basami position, like some of the mm-hmm. like the maybe some of the misconceptions about it and um, kind of like how your instructional breaks it down? Um, well, it's not a I wouldn't call it a position. It's a, it's a movement. It's a leg scissor. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. um, you could do it from standing you can do it when you're on top or you can do it when you're on bottom and it's um it's just basically you can use it to get into two main positions it's usually either going to bring you into a cross ashi or a russian ashi most of the case is going to bring you into a cross ashi though there are examples of times it brings you into a russian ashi if you look at craig jones versus Mateus lutesh at, at polaris that was a kind of Basami where he got to a russian ashi uh lachlan giles did a kind of Basami on um patrick Ga- i think it was patrick gaudio and into a Russian Ashi on the first, his first time entangling the legs. Then he went to his K guard style, which, which he prefers. Uh, he got, that's how he actually got the finish on that one. Um, but um, yeah, I think it's, I would, cl- I classify it as one of the three major methods of entangling the legs, right? I think you've got straight Ashi Garami. Okay. There's a whole category of entries that you go to from a straight Ashi Garami. Um, you've got, You've got the uh, uh, the kind of asami, and then you've got the outside reap. The outside reap is the movement. If you've ever seen a K guard, so when the guy brings his, I, this is a name I came up with. No, I, I've never heard anyone else use his name, but when the guy brings his leg over the top, the basic K guard entry into a backside 50-50, I call that an outside reap. So you might say, well, okay, why don't you just say K guard entries? Well, because you could do an outside reap from other positions. You could do it from an X guard. You can do it. Um, you could do it from a bottom 50-50. You know what I mean? You can do it from a bottom crab ride. You know what I mean? There's a variety of positions you can do it in. It doesn't have to be a K guard. So I wanted a name that described all of those movements of the leg reaping to the outside to chop and go. You wind up in a backside 50-50. You know what I mean? So like, mm-hmm. um, and I think a good leg locker, what your your goal should be, should be able to navigate between these three styles of entry, right? Because what's going to happen is as one person shut, as someone shuts down one of them, they're exposing themselves to some of the others. Not always. There are times when they just shut down all leg locks period. And in those cases, they're usually opening themselves up to like upper body positional advancement. You could, you know, get on top or you can get to a front headlock or attack their arms, things like that. Um, but oftentimes there's things people will do where they, they block, let's say like a very common one is people know I'm good at Kani Basami. So what they'll do is they'll expand their knees. They'll widen their hips. That blocks the Kani Basami, makes it very hard to enter into a Kani Basami. In such a case, it, you can use, if the legs are very wide open, you can usually just go straight to a standard Ashi, like a single leg X. So yeah, I think it's good to like 
know how to navigate between all these different styles of entry. Yeah. Nice. So one thing that I, I kind of noticed as you're talking about all these positions is I can tell that you watch like a lot of film and, and you mentioned it too, mm-hmm. but do you have any advice for people like whether they're studying like leg locking positions or maybe they just want to, you know, do some research on a different position, like how they should start to get into film study in order to like effectively translate what they're seeing into their own jujitsu? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm actually planning on some point having a full, I'm going to, on my website, eventually I'm going to move to a subscription model right now. It's like a single, you pay like once you buy, you get the instructional, but I'm going to shift to a subscription model where you get like access to like a much wider array of like topics and subjects. And one of the things I'm going to have a whole curriculum on like how to study jujitsu, but like mm-hmm. broadly, I mean like in a very simplistic way, I would basically how I would start doing it is okay. Make a folder on your computer, name it grappling research, and then I, from the start, I would do grappling research in two directions. I would make a folder with the name of your favorite grappler, somebody you want to study at length, okay? And then I would maybe you can go to his BJJ Heroes page. That's a super useful resource for doing this kind of research. Although you're gonna have to probably go beyond that because they don't have they don't have any they don't have everything on that site. Yeah. But like that's a good place to start. And then you go and you find every single match that person has ever had and you um, you download them. If they're on YouTube, you can get a YouTube download device. If they're not on YouTube, you can get a screen capture device and you can just record your screen as the match is happening. And there you go. Now you have the match. People ask me all the time, how do you download videos from Flow? Um, I don't. I record my screen. <laughs> I, have a, <laughs> you know, I have a Flow account. I unfortunately pay for Flow. Yeah. Uh, fuck those assholes, but I do pay for it. <laughs> uh, you need it. I mean, there's if you really care about research in jujitsu, they, they have a chokehold on you, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, but like basically, or sorry, I should say strangle. My bad. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but like, but like, I got the pun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, so like the 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 point is that basically, um. Anyway, so just moving on, like, so you uh you and then you take their matches, and what you do is you number them. In, this is in the folder. So let's say it's Leandro Lowe, right? Now you have maybe thirty-five Leandro Lowe matches, and you've got the the sequence in which they happened i sometimes will put depends on how much i give a shit about the individual grappler sometimes i'll put the date on every match so i can see like my gordon ryan folder is very comprehensive i can tell you what's the longest break i don't know it by memory i have to go check but if you look at my folders you can see what's the longest break in competition gordon ever had what's the most matches he ever had in a certain amount of time you can see like i'm doing a very in-depth study of imanari right now i can tell you what trends and patterns do you see in Imanari's career? When did he – fortunately in MMA, things are much more well-documented. So it's easier to do this sort of research with an MMA fighter. You can go on Sherdog, Topology, Wikipedia in many cases, and you'll find this stuff, this information archived. It's super useful. Uh, but sometimes the fights are hard to find. Like Imanari has a lot of fights in Deep. Deep is a Japanese organization. A lot of the matches are not really – I don't even know where to find them. You know, I, yeah. I, I can't, I've never seen like probably half of his fights because I have no idea where I would find them. I look and you can find some of them, but a lot of them are just sort of gone. You know, I'm sure they exist somewhere, but I can't find them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like this overview gives you a good picture of what their style is like, how it's developed. You can start to make basically what you're doing more so than anything else is you're trying to recognize patterns, like all research over and above everything else is, um, is, is a, an attempt to recognize patterns and like 
you know, when you recognize patterns, you can make predictions. And when you make good enough predictions, you can like uh, move forward positively towards your goals, right? Like that's ultimately how this works. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's time consuming. You know, the truth is, is like most people are not going to be interested in investing the time it requires to do this. But the benefit of doing it is no one can bullshit you. You know what I mean? Like if your professor tells you um, that, you know, this is, they say, oh, this doesn't work. Well, okay, then why have I seen it work so consistently? You know what I mean? Like there's yeah. a discrepancy between what you're telling me and what happens. Like people too often just listen to what other people say. Like as a coach personally, I don't want students who are just going to listen to me. Like you'll hear me if you I, – I, I did it in this podcast. If I'm ever at a seminar or if I'm, if I'm teaching a seminar or I'm teaching classes, I will very frequently mention matches where you can see what I'm talking about. So it's it's interesting. We started off the podcast with me saying I don't really like competition that much. But the big, the big value is in – it provides us data like that we can see. You know what I mean? That's that's So I'll never really hate it because it, that's what it provides for us. It's so useful in that regard. Um, there's just complications with it. But anyway, the data itself is so useful to work with. And like, I want to be able as a coach to be able to provide, somebody says to me, I don't think that works. I can say, well, you can see it happen here. Take a look at it there. And that's not the end all be all because just because something worked, something can work 5,000 times. That doesn't mean it's good. It could, I mean, it, it's begins to become good evidence for that. But hypothetically, it could be the case that 5,000 people were just idiots. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's it's possible. You know <laughs> what I mean? It true. starts to become more unlikely, but it's possible. So it, it, you have to think more. In jiu-jitsu, you can't just think in terms of how many times did I see it work, but it starts to become like it's, it's definitely um, – it, it definitely means something when you see it work a lot. You know, and like, yeah, I mean, I so, so ultimately my main interest is in research. Like I'm more interested in that than anything else. And so like so to a lot of people, what I'm describing sounds like arduous and not fun, I'm sure. But to me, it's like it's my favorite part of it. It's the only reason I'm still doing this, you know, it's because I like I like doing that. Mm hmm. Yeah, I feel like all the best coaches, I know my coach does it. Jake's coach mm -hmm. watches a ton of footage, but like they all have a very they're all very good at watching a lot of matches and like distilling it down into like useful chunks of information for their students. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. As a as a coach, I think it's almost a job requirement. I don't see how a coach could not do it. A an athlete or a student, you could be a high level athlete and never watch tape. Hundred percent, super possible, right? In fact, I know many people that are like that. But like as a coach, I don't I don't know how you do it. I don't. I guess you could. You could, but I, I think it's it definitely helps to study tape. Yeah, I think so too. I uh, I think that the best I do is when I when I study tape, um, mainly because like when I compete, uh, I mean I'm I'm pretty much uh, everybody thinks I'm gonna lose all the time. So um, <laughs> <laughs> so so when I compete, I'm like okay, well I don't want them to be right, you know, I want them to be right. wrong. So like when I competed against Philip Andrew, what I do is I get a notebook and I fill the notebook up. I watch like eight matches or 10 matches or however much I need to pretty much get my game plan put together. And then I'll write down my game plan. And yeah. I, I actually was, uh, we've, we've asked film study questions before to a lot of different people and it's been very, very helpful for me. And I love what you said too, because I'm going to start doing that. 
not only because not only because I'm commentating ADCC, but because like, dude, I want to be a world champion too, you know. And when I start doing no gi tournaments as well, I'm not, you know, doing no gi every day. So I have to also be prepared for like stuff I'm not doing. So when I go out there and I do compete, I'm gonna have a lot of film study that I have done to prepare for it. Yeah, uh, I think that is a very, very important part of not just competing, but also coaching. And I like that you said that because I think some people are like, oh, I'm not a coach, whatever, you know, but right. it's actually, wait a minute. You, you, yeah, I think you missed the point there. It's very important to film study. So, so uh, do you feel like there's, cause obviously like, like I just mentioned there, there are a lot of coaches who do film study, but do you feel like there's a lot of things that just two coaches kind of don't do like they're kind of missing the boat like stuff that you do with your students that you feel really helps that isn't maybe it's not so common right now um well i mean i think instruction in jiu-jitsu is mostly terrible you know like most jiu-jitsu instructors are not good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at, at instructing at instructing i'm not saying they're not good at jiu-jitsu right no, like yeah yeah the number <laughs> of people who are okay I'll, let, let's put it like this this, I mean, look, the number of people who do jiu-jitsu that are actually good at jiu-jitsu is very small, okay? I'm not going to give a number, but it's not super high, right? Like, most people that do jiu-jitsu are not good at jiu-jitsu. It, the number of people that do jiu-jitsu and who are good at jiu-jitsu and who are good at instructing is even smaller. It's a small, it's a, you know, it's a very small number of people. Because, like, jiu-jitsu is, like, we kind of are, like, in the Stone Age when it comes to instruction. Because you have to understand, like, jiu-jitsu is both, like, if you look at something like judo, judo is mostly not uh most judo coaches are either doing it for fun recreation or they're funded by the government you know what i mean like in france or something right like it's a it's, it's an olympic sport whereas yeah. most jiu-jitsu instructors there's a combination of the need to make money and their coaching and sometimes that manifests itself as sort of like an archaic repetition of practices designed to maintain a student base right so for instance like as a as a coach myself i have been described sometimes as very harsh like i don't like delusion i i don't i don't want to i'm not gonna blow smoke up your ass i will tell people what i think and sometimes that comes off as harsh i'm not trying to be a jerk but it you know like i'm not gonna like bullshit people like i've had people tell me that they were like i have serious competitive aspirations and i was like it's not gonna work. Don't waste your time. Like twenty, I had like a, I had a, I'm 28 years old, but I've been training since I was young. I had a guy who 28, he just started. He wasn't athletic, you know, short guy. Tells me I have serious competitive aspirations. I was like, eh. I was like, you could, you could. I'm not saying you can't do tournaments and win. You can. But he was like, I'm, I'm trying to win ADCC. I was like, it's not gonna happen. It's not gonna happen. There's no way. You're deluding yourself. You know what I mean? And like, so I'm like, as a coach personally, I'm not gonna waste my time. I could tell that guy. Look, if I told that guy, yeah, you're gonna, you, oh, you, fuck y'all, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you there. You'll, you'll do it, man. Trust me. That <laughs> pay, you know, what I mean? he'll pay me for privates. You know, and now I make yeah. money, and so that's what a lot of instructors, I think, they kind of, and like, they don't want, no one wants to push away potential clients, but I think, I'm of the mindset that I don't want to, I don't tolerate self delusion, and I don't want to tolerate delusion in my students. Um, I, I think in large part, I got that from my own coach. Danaher is, if you think I'm harsh, <laughs> oh man, Danaher is the worst. He's brutal. I've heard him tell people they were like, you know, like, uh, somebody in class did a move once and they thought they did well and they looked at him and he, I, the guy, he might've even said something. I think the guy might've even said that was pretty good. Right. And Danaher was like, he said, uh, <laughs> he's like, 
don't think too highly of yourself. That was terrible. <laughs> like, like, just roasting the guy. Uh, and like, and like, the truth is, is because like Danaher will tell you if he thinks something is good. He, many times I've heard him compliment random people. Very, you know, the joke is like a beautiful sumageshi garitonen or <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Like, uh, but like, you know, like he'll say it. Like he's, it's not like he's afraid to compliment people. It's just that he's also like, there's no ambiguity with what's that you you will know that you earned the compliment like there's right yes it's something that's kind of lost on people nowadays because like people are so after gratification and like my my professor same way my uh i told the story before on the show like one time he literally told me he's like you don't even deserve to be war champion if you won it wouldn't make me happy and i was like i was like dang like that's harsh and i was like i was a kid dude so i'm depressed like it depressed me to hear that because i was my hero and then he's like, listen, why do you think I told you that? He's like, look what you're doing now. He's like, you're actually pushing yourself. Do you think I'm here to make you a jiu-jitsu competitor or an actual good human being? I'm like, oh, snap. And then I understood, oh, wow, this guy's like a father figure to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think John Danaher probably has uh, confused a lot of people with his uh, <laughs> harshness. Right. But it's also very important to hear that harshness. Like, you need that. Why, I, do you I think agree. Gordon Ryan is, like, getting coddled? No. Yeah. Like, there's a reason that guy's nuts. It's because he has been pushed and he's learned how to push himself. You can say whatever right. you want about the guy. Yeah, whatever. His Instagram is he's mean. Big mean, <laughs> right? But that right. guy's the best. And there's yeah. a reason. So I think um people need to understand that too, you know. I admire John Dan Hur a lot. I think he's a he's definitely everything ever the look at what he's done for the sport. Look right. at you super intelligent guy push yourself super hard like there's a reason people make it you know it's because they push yeah. themselves well i'll say this i'm in complete agreement the trick is i think that's oftentimes not in the best business interest of it for academy. sure you yeah. Know what I mean? yeah that's that's the dichotomy that's yeah. why you get these situations where like a lot of people like and i understand it let's say you're an accountant and you work your ass off nine to five every day you're busting your balls and then you go into the academy, you just want to have fun, man. You're just trying to chill. You're just trying to relax. And your coach is like, you're fucking triangle shit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But you're like, dude, I'm not fucking here for this, man. Why am I paying you? I'm going to go home and play Call of Duty. Like, this is stupid. <laughs> like, um, it's so usually I, my thought after practice. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I, I think that – so. Um, I think that the best way to do it is like as so like let me be clear about something. My harshness as a coach is exclusively limited to people that like that want to be serious athletes or they want to be serious generally speaking. If you tell me your goal is just to have fun, I'm not gonna be a dick to you. What's the point? You know what I mean? Who cares if you suck at jujitsu? Your only goal is to do this to have fun. That's fine. This is recreation for you. There's no issues. I for real have no problem with that. In that case, I'm not gonna be harsh to you. I would be a, in that case. I'm just being a malicious asshole. I'll be harsh to the if I get someone who tells me, "Look, I want to be like." One of the jokes with my old students was that the first set of questions I would ever ask a student was, "How old are you? Um, uh, how old are you? Uh, what do you weigh? And what are your ask? What are your goals?" Because if someone's over 23 and you're starting, it's it's hard, man. It's not impossible, but there have been athletes who started after 23 that did well, but it gets hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I want to start with athletes that are young. I My ideal age for an athlete to start would be like 16, 17. You know, give me a student when they're 16, 17. In five years, I can do something with them. 
And then also I want to know like what their goals are because like, so I've met, I've met kids, you know, I've met kids traveling. I, I, the two most talented people, I'm not going to name them because I don't blow too much smoke up these people's asses, but there's two kids who I've met. I shouldn't even call them kids because one of them is like in his twenties, but like, man, these two, uh, one of them is like a teenager, so I can call him a kid. But like these two, two guys had massive, both of them massive potential, but they're, um, their goals were largely outside of the sport. And I mean, to be honest, I completely understand it. If you, if in most cases, you should not be pursuing jujitsu professionally. Most people shouldn't pursue jujitsu professionally, but it's like, you know, when you see it, you see that talent there. Talent is a, is a, is a, I'm a big believer in talent and people don't maybe, but a lot of people don't like that. They want to think that anyone can be a world champion at anyone can be good. But not anyone can be a world champion. You guys know that uh, Ratatouille is one of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite movies. You know that line? Pixar movie, like, yeah. It's such a good movie, right? Where it's like, any uh, a great chef can come from anywhere, but not anyone can be a great chef. So the point is, is that like, you don't just because somebody comes from humble backgrounds, you, it's hard to predict whether someone is going to uh, depend uh, based on where they're from, whether they're going to have the talent. But you can see it in my in my opinion when you're when you've coached long enough, you can oftentimes see it when it's there. It's a rare combination of the physical, the mental, and the emotional. When you see all three of these things come together, like if I saw myself as a student, I'd be like, you don't have it. I would I would I don't think I would have it. You know, if I as a coach, I would say, no, nah, you got too much competition anxiety because I've had a lot of competition anxiety in the past. And I wouldn't say that. I'm not gonna be an asshole. But like um, I personally would assess myself and say, I don't really think you've got what it takes to be a world champion. <laughs> it's so That's negative. Funny. Yeah, yeah, but it's the truth. It's what I would actually think. Whereas I've met people that like – I was talking to one of my teammates this morning. I think he's got – I'm not going to say his name. I don't want to blow smoke up his ass. But <laughs> no one knows who he is right now. He's an unknown. You know, If I named him, you guys maybe would know who he is. But I think he's going to be a world champion. And I told him that, you know, and um, – I uh, will see if I'm right, but like, I think he's got everything it takes. I think that I have a much better mindset. I, so on the same hand, I personally think I'm probably going to be a much more successful coach than him. I think I have the ideal mindset for a coach. Like it's interesting. A coach should be, in my opinion, overly analytical. You, you, you can't be too analytical as a coach, right? But as an athlete, I definitely think you can, because you can fall into this trap of studying so much tape that you kind of like get too much information and you second guess yourself too much. Whereas a coach, you're not actually performing. So that's not an issue. You know what I mean? You're just conveying information. Um, does, do you, you guys, does this make sense? Yeah. Yes. Makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I kind of had a follow up question on that too. Cause like a lot of the, the top competitors in jujitsu now, they, they're coaches too, or they at least like have some students that they teach. Do you feel like eventually as the sport gets more professional, kind of gets out of the, you know, the earlier years of its development that you'll kind of see a split between people who just dedicate time to coaching versus people who are strictly competitors? I don't think so. I don't think we're ever going to fully move to that model. That's a very rare thing. The only person I can really think of is Danaher. Who's, you know what I mean? Who's the most successful coach you guys can think of that wasn't also a fucking good competitor? Other than Danaher. Costa? Oh, he wasn't a good competitor? I don't know. I don't. I don't know. He did, uh, he wasn't like I, a world multiple time world champion or oh, anything. Okay. But yeah, okay. I know. I've heard a lot about like the environment he created in his academy in Brazil, which was really good. But yeah. 
Okay, interesting. So, so okay, I guess there are others. I, a couple. I, I, I probably just assumed because he's Brazilian. I was like, ah, it's probably a Mundial champion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, uh, uh, there's so many Mundial champions. It's like, yeah. Well, anyone crazy. with a Brazilian name, I assume, is one Mundial's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, uh, uh, yeah, okay, that's interesting. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it will shift to that. But I kind of think because of the way the business of jiu-jitsu is like you know like how do you get your name out there a big way is competing yeah you know what i mean that's a big thing so how do you prove or how do you prove what you do works again competing right so like i kind of think it will always sort of be your the, the the way it works is you start as a competitor then you move to being a coach i think the only way that would change is like somebody i saw this on facebook talking about this if it became like a college sport or a um uh, olympic sport right then we would see more people that were just coaches because you see that right like in, in like those sorts of areas like um but not so much not so much in jujitsu though maybe i'm wrong who knows we'll, we'll have to wait and see do another podcast in 30 years and <laughs> we'll see what happens yeah yeah i like that idea <laughs> Mark, years now, episode 500 <laughs> episode 500 we finally had robert deagle back on yeah. <laughs> robert how are you now that you are 62 years old <laughs> 500 episodes probably take what like five years yeah actually that will it'll be well past that, that, be that yeah <laughs> he won't be 62 years old for sure that was episode 2500 <laughs> episode 2500 i will definitely have an open guard cast tattoo by then <laughs> I'll be That's 58 awesome. by then, so not that far. Off, but... Yeah, yeah. All right, we're gonna have to do an episode every single day for the next, <laughs> so we can prove him wrong. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so we really appreciate your time. It's been about yeah, an hour no and ten minutes. So, is there anything else? Any other topics that you feel like you wanted to touch on before we kind of wrapped it up? No, no. Anything you guys wanted to go over? Did you guys have anything else that you wanted to? No man, you, you actually were a fantastic. You were a fantastic guest. Uh, thanks, I, thanks. We love it when we love it when, you know, we invite people on and they're very they got the gift of gab and you have that too, which is <laughs> another sign of a good coach. You know what I mean? You have to yeah. be able to convey a story with your teaching and mm -hmm. everything. I mean, I think I asked what like two questions and it turned into <laughs> conversations, which is I mean, yeah. that's what podcasts are supposed to do. Um, right. So no, dude, you're very. Uh, I, I like that there's people like you in the community. Thanks. Uh, you're, also, you're also very funny. Uh, earlier when you heard the, the the what was it the marine biologist joke was the yeah. bad kill me uh, so yeah dude wishing you all the best um Thanks, if I it, was, it was really cool too to be able to to have you talk about topics that we haven't really had everyone talk about all our guests because we usually hit on like some pretty consistent themes and you brought up a lot of stuff that was like super interesting that we haven't talked about yet so we really yeah. appreciate that too Real quick before we go, I'll just say on on that note, I think, and I, I hope the viewers listening to this can take this positively and and go forward and try to enact what I'm describing. I think one of the biggest things in jujitsu that is just like should change is people way too frequently just blindly repeat what others say. Whenever <laughs> I criticize rule sets, this is what people say: "Oh, you just suck at the rule sets. That's why you hate them." Instead of having an honest critical analysis of rule sets and and the goals of rule sets and what we're trying to encourage and things like that, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like, or like training methodologies, right? Things like that. Oh, you don't like warmups because you're lazy. That's what I've been told, right? Like it's, I just, in jujitsu, I think just like in many other areas in life, I think that it would be improved if people more frequently 
they don't just blindly repeat what others say. Maybe what others repeat is worth repeating, but let's understand the why behind it rather than just repeating it. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's a great message to, to end on. Thanks, huh. yeah. A, a great yeah. message for past jujitsu. Don't just listen to what people say. Do some research. <laughs> damn it. Yeah. <laughs> You're so a human you any, being uh, with a brain. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any sponsors or, or people you want to thank? Um, I'll just thank my coaches and teammates and um, anyone who buys my instructionals because that's how I'm paying the bills. So thanks, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> awesome. All right, cool. Yeah, you can follow uh, Robert Deagle at Robert Deagle BJJ on Instagram. No check out his website too to get uh to get access to his products that we touched on. Which is Robert Deagle BJJ Online Teachable.com. So go there, learn how to do some really good jujitsu. Um and dude, we wish you all the best. We want to thank Thanks. our sponsors now. Electrum Performance. Yeah, we want to thank Electrum <laughs> for uh just being so great and listening to me babble on and on. Uh, doing my, my Alex Sterner impression, which is just like this. Like, he sounds like this, and he talks like this. Now, conventional <laughs> wisdom will tell you that you should follow Electra Performance and use our discount code, but here's the thing. It's backed by science. Um, <laughs> uh, we love you, Alex, and we love all the people down there at Auto San Diego as well, uh, even though they're not the ones sponsoring us. Uh, only Alex is. But... Um, we want to thank Agro Brand, High Tier Photography, Chill Fit Cryo, Matakaba BJJ, Marshall Andre Academy, and uh, thank you guys all so much for listening and watching on YouTube. Be sure to subscribe, follow. We are on everything. We're soon going to be on. You cannot avoid us. You cannot ignore us. We're so, we're going to be on your Apple Music, not even just your iTunes. You're going to be trying to listen to Lauren Daigle, and you're going to be like, oh my gosh, wait a minute, is that Danny O'Donnell, not the Irish singer, but the guy on the podcast? And yes, it is him. Just keep listening because we had Robert Deagle on. It's a good episode. So thank you guys so much. Uh, I'm working on these intro outros too. I want to you know, get more and more like whatever the guy who owns WWE. I want to get more like him. Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon. <laughs> yeah, not, not in character, I hear, but in just overall preparation and, and presentation of how he runs the WWE. I want to be like Chael Sonnen, uh, who we will – I want to have him on too. That'd be sick. But anyway, thank you, Robert. Danny, no if you have no further qualms or questions, take us out of here. Thanks, everyone, for listening. That was episode 49 of the Open Guard Cast with Robert Deagle. Definitely check him out on Instagram and check out his instructionals, and we'll see you guys soon. Let's